You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Hey guys, thanks for coming down tonight. Um, really lovely Melbourne night to be here. Um, I'm Caroline Clements. I'm hosting the panel tonight. We're talking about citizen-led projects and, and getting them off the ground. Um, before I get started, I just want to um, acknowledge uh, the traditional owners of the land, the, the people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to elders past and present. Um, I'm really excited to be here tonight. Melbourne's my hometown, but I actually live in Sydney, um, and I always feel like it's a really nice time to be back here in January when the tennis is on and the weather's great um, and, and pavilions up and running. So um, we are going to chat to these great people here. Um, I'm going to introduce them, and uh, and then they'll do a little spiel about themselves and tell you about their f fantastic projects, very exciting um, and strategically considered projects, which you should all get behind. Um, we've got Matt Pember from the Veggie Patch. Uh, we have Mim uh, Mirava Holmes, but also known as Mim, um, from Yarra Pools. And we've got Courtney Carthy uh, from Inflatable Regatta. Um, before uh, I get them to do their intro, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I'm a, I'm a writer and editor. I was the founding editor of Broadsheet years ago um, and have just uh, written a book about places to swim. Um, which uh, you may or may not have seen. I'll just do a little hold up. There's actually going to be a door prize tonight for people to win this. So you can go and put your business cards or names in a, in a glass jar on the bar and um, maybe win a prize. Also, uh, part of that prize will be Matt, one of Matt's books. There will be a veggie patch book as well for any aspiring gardeners out there, but that will be posted out tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> Courtney? Um, there's some limited edition badges in there too. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have some inflatable regatta badges that look like the little monogramming sort of thing here. Um, so if you put your business card in, make sure you take one of those out while they last. And the Yarra Pools would offer something like a ticket to entry, but we're not yet built. Okay. So, yeah. Or funded. <laughs> um, so just, just before we get these guys to talk about their projects... Um, I just sort of want to talk about the idea of, of citizen-led, government-led. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of challenges with getting these kind of projects off the ground, but I, I sort of want today to be a, 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 um, an opportunity to share stories and, and knowledge and for it to be sort of an optimistic and positive discussion and an opportunity for you guys to ask questions rather than sort of it, it feeling, um, you know, like it's, it's all doom and gloom, because it isn't. I mean, these guys have got some fantastic projects off the ground and um, they're, they're really exciting. They've come with challenges. Some of them aren't yet realised, but um, they're on their way there and um, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for you guys to hear about them and then, and then also learn. And maybe some of you have your own projects you're thinking about. So, um, you know, they're at different stages and, and it's a good, a good chance to... to get some knowledge from these guys. Um, so I think we'll, we'll kick things off with, with Mim. She might start talking about Yarra Pools. I'm sure you guys have all heard about it. It's, it's a fantastic idea to, to build a public pool on the Yarra um, down near the aquarium. Uh, so I'll let her introduce that, that concept. Thanks. So um, we're a, a committee um, which actually Courtney's on as well and the idea was seeded from the Yarra Swim Co um, by the wonderful Matt Stewart, who's actually um, one of the co-founders of the pool and he's now in Berlin. But the Yarra Swim Co was an event that finished in the 80s um, and actually was one of the largest swimming events in the world and it was in the Yarra River. So um, it's quite interesting. If you have some time, jump onto the website. But 
Subsequently, the race was stopped because the water quality was too bad in the Yarra to continue. So the point of trying to reinvigorate that wasn't necessarily around just having a sporting event. It was also trying to make the, the river swimmable, which then articulates good policy, good management, good engagement. Um, and from that grew the idea to uh, plop a pool on top of a floating or floating pool on top of the water. Um, the site nominated is the one in the Turning Basin, also another historical site in Melbourne. Um, it's where the freshwater meets seawater. Um, there was originally a waterfall there. Uh, and it's the Turning Basin opposite um, Crown Casino. So, uh, does anyone know that? Near the aquarium? So, a fantastic location. Uh, it's also contra controversial and significant in the site of where it's where the first white settlers arrived as well. Um, but subsequently, we've uh, some of you may have seen recently all of the um, media we've received around the new design that's come out from Awara Architects, um, which was also presented at Hong Kong Design Week. And, um, yeah, we're in the stages of a business case almost being fu finished um, and now looking to get it really funded and operating. So, still a couple of years away because it takes a bit of work and a bit of money. Um, but, yeah. How long have you been working on it so far? Um, so, I've been involved with the project since I left government um, and that's probably been about 12 months and um, it's been going between... It's nearly at five years, actually. So... Michael O'Neill, he's also here, he's the president, and he's been on the program since DOT. So he's uh, got the corporate memory if you want to talk about it in that capacity. So Thanks, Jim. Um, Courtney, do you want to talk about inflatable regatta? Yep. Um, so um, we get around the water quality by floating on the river rather than jumping in. Um, but some people have done that at the event in the past. Um, so... We, in 2008, uh, we were students, didn't have a lot of money, thought it'd be fun to get on the river, but the cheapest way we figured we could do it was on inflatable boats. I had a look around uh, online and found out that it was legal. You know, there wasn't any restrictions against us doing that outside of, you know, ones that might be sort of a little bit sort of pushing the envelope. Um, we forgot about it, did it again in 2014, and then um, after that, you know, I think there were 30 people that did it. Um, somebody said we should do this every year. Um, we put it on Facebook and left the event open sort of accidentally and it ballooned out of sort of all proportion. Um, I got recognised at a pub in Brunswick just because I was the one that had set up the event, which was a really weird thing. But um, we tried to get it organised and came up against so many roadblocks through all the stakeholders that we had to go through because... It was a water event, there wasn't anything like it. You're sort of in semi-open water, you need all of these plans and everything that go with it. So it took us 15 months from sort of thinking, hey, let's do it again, to realising like, hey, we can't do it again, um, sort of in an open way, and then to having 500 people. And that was in 2016. In 2017, we had 1,700 people. In 2018, we had 2,000 plus people. And it's been happening every February for the last three years, sort of in a public way. And we're having a year off this year, which is so good. Uh, <laughs> it's very relaxing. Um, I'm getting sleep and um, I feel like I could have a newborn and not worry about it because um, I don't have this event to, to sort of take care of with four other people. That uh, Lee is one of the people that founded it along with me. He's just sitting behind the guy in the purple T-shirt there, my line of sight. Um, but it's been a lot of talking and banging heads against doors and government departments and figuring out who to talk to and finding sort of, you know, somebody that will give you a go. And that was sort of our adventure from, uh, yeah, 2015 all the way to 2016, about, about 14 months. And, and you sell tickets to the event. 
Yeah, and we we can expect to see another event in the future. Yeah, so tickets are usually $60. They haven't changed since we started the event, so we try and keep it sort of very low barrier to entry like our first event was. Um, we're coming back in 2020. Uh, at the very least, we're doing an event on the Maribyrnong. Don't hold me to that because we haven't got the plans through council yet. But uh, we're aiming for 2020 February on the Maribyrnong River and probably another 2,000 plus people. So much, much the same, but adapted to, to the locality. Thanks. Matt, from the Veggie Patch. That's right. So, um, so my business is about growing food in urban spaces and we, we have nothing to do with government funding and we don't understand the language behind it. And that's probably why I'm here actually, as a lay person that doesn't really understand the, the ground in which to get funding from the government. We tend to do things as a small business uh, privately and we set up partnerships and the way that we did our project uh, which is a rooftop garden it was called the pop-up patch it was at Fed Square um, we sort of stumbled across an opportunity there um, we'd been doing some activations with Fed Square and they'd struggled for many years to, to activate I guess the food part and food and beverage part of their precinct and they took us one day to a car park which is out back of Fed Square which we didn't know existed we didn't know it was vacant and they took us to the back corner and they said, you know, there's a bit of a space here, it's about 100 square metres. Uh, what do you think about putting in, you know, a box for each of the food and beverage tenants for Fed Square and it can give them something to, I guess, promote about the food and beverage offering that they have. And we just, you know, thought we'd ask what they did with the rest of the space, which was about 1,000 square metres. And it turned out it was a just-in-case spot and they hadn't done anything with it for about seven years. We still don't understand why it was vacant for so long, but as soon as we realised it was vacant, um, we said, oh, well, we've got this idea, which we thought up within the next day. Um, how about we put in a few boxes, you know, and we rent them out to inner city residents. And, you know, we can do the thing with your food and beverage tenants, but we can also get in other restaurants. We can get in members of the public that live in the city because we found through our business that I guess the people they were probably most interested in growing food um, but didn't have the space to do so with people living in the centre of Melbourne. So we knew they existed and within the space of about three months we'd set up 150 boxes on the rooftop. Um, we brought in a couple of shipping containers to set up as a, a mobile storage space and also um, a port of sale for a very small nursery there. Um, within about a year we had Movida, Press Club, Pay Modern, a whole bunch of really great city restaurants there. Um, over the space of about four to five years, we had, you know, My Kitchen Rules and MasterChef and everyone sort of saw the space and thought, hey, here's a really good opportunity to show that we're into fresh food. And, um, and then I guess coming up to about sort of two years into the project um, and Fed Square, all they wanted Fed Square was basically a marketing opportunity for their tenants and to, to make themselves, I guess, look good that they're doing something that's sustainable and they were really happy with the progress and then there was a change of management and then all of a sudden we started hearing this talk about maximising the asset, we've got to maximise it. So then uh, it, it sort of turned away from a community sort of little playground for us and then we had to try and derive a bit more revenue and, and share it out to FedSquare and other stakeholders. So we had an event space there which went incredibly well. Um, and then after the first event space we were in the process of signing up for another year and that's when Fed Square made the business decision that it was in their best interest to ship it out to an open tender and find someone else to come in. And 
The problem with that space is that it's, I don't know if anyone knows how FedSquare is operated. Uh, we still don't fully understand how it works, but it's a, it's a state asset. So they don't have full control over the assets of the precinct and the car park's one example. So they couldn't give anything more than a, a three-year tender um, at absolute max. And so once they kicked us off the space, China finds another tenant to activate the space became impossible. Uh, just this evening when I walked down past the spot, it was empty again and had been returned to its former glory. So I think the reason I'm here is to show that uh, projects can get off the grounds, but um, when you're dealing business to business, they can shut down as quickly as they can start up. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I think that's a really interesting and, and unique um, part of what the pop-up patch was. It was it was a privately funded project, so it got off the ground quickly. Um, quite different to the other two projects. Um, you know, we've got like a huge a huge pool operation that's going to take a lot of money, a lot of funding to get off the ground, and then a, a small idea that became a really big fun. You know, boats floating down the Yarra. So three really different ideas, and I think when we think about um, citizen-led projects, we do think about these like small ideas, you know, a small group of people, um, you know, maybe it's a not-for-profit, maybe, you know, but actually they can be really large-scale, they can be multi-million dollar projects like Yarra Pools. So just, just interested to know, you know, your thoughts on that, Mim, and, and you know, the sort of range of different projects and how that sort of plays into what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that um, – so I, I also came into the Yarra Pools because I did work for government and I was lucky to be the, the bearer of the chest, so to speak, in that I could give funding out with approval through the, the governance structure. Um, and I think the once you take the perception of it being community, there's a bit of a um, stigma attached to community projects being sort of rinky-dink, small, um, you know – a little bit touchy-feely, but actually if you bury into and get to know the structure and the people behind the ideas, um, things like the Yarra Pools are supported by um, organisations like Arup, um, Wawawa Architects, an incredible firm from here in Melbourne, and then we've had support from um, organisations like Tract um, who want to contribute pro bono to deliver on these ideas as well. So through the work that we've done and the support we also got from Melbourne Water, so we've been funded for a business case, there has been belief that this is more than just actually delivering on something that might be good for community. It actually has merit across all sectors, so the visitor economy, the, um, the business sectors, whatever. So I think from that perspective, it was finding people that were willing to be brave behind ideas or who would listen, and sometimes that's hard in government because they're, you know, the... The, again, another perception of the civil servant being there for 20, 30 years and they're just there to do their job. There's actually two kind of sides to the coin. So big projects and I think the way in which you present the idea, um, being intelligent, informed and actually presenting with the passion that you have in the first instance is really important. So the pool um, is continuing in mean, four to five years and we're now getting traction with the business case and now the figures are coming out behind it. Um, with a piece of work that the organisation I now work for um, helped write with EarthCheck, um, or for EarthCheck. So it's um, now saying, look, this is kind of a no-brainer. So um, once you have the numbers behind it, and the internet provides many sources of information, so um, collaborate, you know, and get that collation of information as well. So. And so when you're getting support from, from different businesses, I mean, I guess that's a really interesting word and it has many, many meanings. I mean, when we're asking for support from the government, um, 
Courtney, maybe you can you can answer this. Um, what what are we asking for? Are we asking for funding? You know, I mean, it seems like um, with the Arapools, there's a lot of different avenues for support. There's you know, there's designers and architects who are throwing in their time. But you know, in the case of in asking for support from the government, are we are we asking for funds? Um, I, I suppose it's in our case we were looking for funds, but we we're also just looking for a meeting at the start. And that can be really hard because people don't know whether or not, like, is this just going to be another waste of my time where, like, I've got all this other stuff to do and, you know, whether you're busy or not, do I have to sit and listen to this person that's on the other end of the phone or who keeps emailing me? Um, and that was, that was what we wanted. And then from that sort of, like, initial meeting, we just kept trying to turn up in as many places as we could and sort of, you know, surround the people that we needed to and get this sort of play, play them off each other in a way that, like there's sort of perceived momentum so that we're saying, well, we've got this place on board. You know, they've, they've, they've expressed support, you know, which might have just been, oh, yes, it's pretty good. <laughs> and it's, that's an expression. It seems supportive. So, you know, we'll take that and then we'll take that to another department and we'll say, oh, these people have gone, oh, they're, they're really them. Oh, that's great. And you're like, oh, we've got two people now. And then you sort of cobble together this, this sort of like mass of, you know, people that you... By the time we got to Melbourne Water when we were looking for a sponsor, um, and this was the second year we'd sort of pitched to Melbourne Water for a sponsor. The first year they um, didn't give us a meeting or anything, but we got MIM. So we found a way, you know, somebody that would listen to us. And then from, like, MIM understood what we were doing and then put a bit of faith in us and then, you know, told our story within the corporation to, you know, to let it... And now they love having us over. We've been asked to pitch a couple of other events to them as well. And, I mean, because we were given a chance at the start and found sort of a solid doorway and an advocate on the inside, that was something, you know, that allowed us to either grow the relationship, grow the opportunities for sponsorship or for help or for, you know... Um, I mean, one of the incidental things that we've done is really put a lot of effort into, you know, trying to work with different people at Parks Victoria... And that's not the people in the office, but it's the people down at Burnley Harbour. So when we needed to get some pontoons into the water, when I just happened to be stopping by for some reason or another in 2007, they were just sitting there. I said, oh, Chris, they're not going to get in the water. We're not going to have an event. People won't be able to get out of the water. He said, all right, I'll put them in the water for you. And I'd known Chris for a couple of years by that time, and it was able, I was able, he was able to do us that favour. I mean paid for it in sort of like him being grumpy about it for the next sort of six or 12 months and holding it against me, but it paid off at that point in time. And, I mean, we had to figure out what we needed and who was going to give it to us and then how to get it from those people. And particularly what one point that Matt said was the language that, that people in government speak is quite different to um, other contexts. And identifying that context and at least picking up on how you can interact with them or getting people to trust you in that way um, is something that we've um, found extremely valuable. And then once you're in, I mean, uh, we had seven, Lee, was it six or seven meetings in 20, before 2016 to get the first one off the ground with the government department? And then this, who needed to issue us a permit? The second year, um, we got all nervous for this meeting, are we going to get renewed and, you know, is this going to be all right? And we went in and we said, oh, we, you know, we'll go up. And he said, no, we'll just have a coffee. And we talked about something else for like 20 minutes and then we said, are we good here? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, like, for fuck's sake. It's <laughs> probably a good thing. Yeah, it's probably a good thing to remember. I mean, they're just, these are just other people doing their jobs too. They are know? totally, right. they are people, absolutely. Um, <laughs> 
after the story. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's true. But they're, they're also responsible not to you at all. They're responsible to their employer. So, I mean... Taxpayer. Taxpayer, ta yeah. Um, splitting hairs, come on. <laughs> um, that's, that's absolutely true. Sorry. It, it sounds like what you're saying, Courtney, is that you need to play politics to make things happen. Is that right? I mean, we, we did what we thought was appropriate to get what we wanted. Um, you know, and what we were after within the, within the bounds. Um, one example was, um, and this sort of seemed like a stonewalling tactic, was you need a safety management plan. Great, just send us a template for the safety management plan. We'll fill that out. Oh, and we didn't have a template. So how do I do the safety management plan? Will you just do the safety management plan? And this went back and forwards for a while. Google it was suggested. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, that was actually. Um, we, did, we did that, couldn't understand it. I ended up using, and this is kind of unfair because people don't have these contacts, the former emergency services commissioner who I knew incidentally through my, a job I had at the ABC, he said, oh, yeah, I'll fix you up with the former head of major events for Victoria Police. And then I sat on the deck of a Williamstown yacht club at 7.30 watching the sun go down with him going line by line writing down our safety management plan. And, like, nobody's going to be bothered to do that if you're not passionate about it. And that's yeah. where some of the – you miss out on some of the event, citizen-led events because you stonewall these people that are passionate about something that are trying to get something up. I think that – so, on the flip side, I now work for EarthCheck and um, we're, I'm up in, actually in Brisbane. I'm no longer in Melbourne. And um, we uh, – the, 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 the shoes on the other foot now and we've got an amazing project that we do every year all around the world. First time we're bringing it into um, Australia and into our hometown of Brisbane. And first and foremost, with the experience that we've gotten with, with my background, I wanted to get partnership with the state government. And there's, you know, a $6.5 billion gap identified in Queensland for visitor economy and for product development in tourism. So we said, we're going to bring everyone to your door Anyway, lo and behold, six months later, and it's been an enormous amount of meetings, you know, dragging our CEO along. No, 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 this is the right meeting. We're going to get the money. It's going to be okay. And, you know, meeting various people. And it was just finding one person who believed in us and the persistence of us believing in what we had to pitch and also the fact that we had the background and we had constructed it. And it was strange. Uh, just before I flew down here on Tuesday, uh, yesterday, got a call and, like, just quietly... Yep, so we're going to support you. I'm like, and I had to sort of almost put the phone down, but I had the headphones in because it's a modern age and you don't have the dial tone. And I, I, oh, great, that's fantastic. And he said, yep, looking forward to working with you. Okay, we'll catch up when you're back from holidays. I'm like, sure. And I just sort of went in. I think I saw Andre, who's one of my colleagues, and I just said, um, so we got the support. And it was just only after constant meetings and constantly putting it forward and then finding the one person who said, this is a no-brainer, go for it. So... And passion was really important. You guys had that too with the inflatable. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes like the the language and the the I don't know the interface of a of a government website can even feel quite daunting. And and, and like Matt was saying, you know, for for lay people like many of us, maybe we don't we don't understand that language and we don't know how to get past all of that. Um, yeah, I I just wonder whether like what what are some of those things that you guys think were really challenging, like that 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 maybe set you back a little bit? I mean, I think, Courtney, you mentioned, you've mentioned some before, but what are some of those things that kind of stop in your tracks a little bit that, are, that you find really hard, Matt? I think as a, as a small business and having no experience with government, I, I now understand the language because Mim's given me the, the dictionary to interpret how she talks and the meetings that we go to, we sort of now understand 
how to communicate. But as, as a small business, when you haven't filled out a grant before, um, it's really daunting to know uh, how you can apply, what, what you, uh, I guess, what you qualify for, um, and then what the right process is, because you don't want to be filling in grants and not getting the funding, because that looks bad. And so I guess the, the first feeling, once again, coming from a small business, not a non-for-profit, wondering, are there applicable grants, is that, you know what, we'll just do it ourselves, as opposed to potentially getting the support. And straight away, it puts you on the back foot, because you need to find the money yourself, and it doesn't matter how passionate you are about a project, money only gets you so far. Um, and that's what's important with smaller projects, and like the one we did at Pop-Up Patch, we, we started that on a very shoestring budget because we had to, because Fed Square didn't want to spend too much money. Um, it was actually originally a 12-month project, and it turned out that it went for five years. So given that we only expected to be there for 12 months, how much money will you spend and expect to get back? Um, and the whole time, I guess we wondered, and we thought, you know, we're a, a business that we're sustainable, we're community-engaged, we help people grow food, surely that there's some sort of funding that would apply to us. We wonder where it is and how to find out. And that's probably the biggest stumbling block, knowing where to begin. From our perspective, um, I think, you know, from the amazing work of our committee and, and Michael and Matt, we have all the, we have all the ducks in, the row, on, in a row. And our greatest hurdle is the city of Melbourne. Um, and total respect, we've got the, we've, you know, the support of um, Deputy Lord Mayor. We've met with the Lord Mayor, the new Lord Mayor, and the previous Lord Mayor as well. Um, and there's, there's uh, vim and vigour for the project. But then the, for our, from our perspective, it sort of hits the actual operational context of the office of the office of the city of Melbourne and it then starts the pinging around of emails and phone numbers so just trying to get an answer we wanted data for the business case um, and we got data from all walks of life but the one crucial element of data wasn't really forthcoming from the city of Melbourne and it gets to the point where and I would imagine there's a number of people out there in, in the audience that um, from a civic community perspective you just get exasperated because you think We've been supported by our councillors. We have been supported by other, you know, all other facets. But for some reason, we just can't get that, you know, as court referred to, the door open. And it is frustrating and it, it's constant. You've got to keep going back and back and you keep finding the emails. And from the point of view of writing the business case or putting, you know, our own research forward. And also there's that part, but then the other part is the things that you don't know. So and you find something pop up and we've become really good at reading um, council minutes. Um, that's always a good... This is, I don't know if I'm looking... Your face is smiling. Maybe you've read a few council minutes yourself. The, the City of Melbourne, from an FOI perspective, there's a lot of information available on the website and we've re gone through them and we've found out budget amounts and possible plans for Enterprise Park, et cetera, et cetera. And it just... Um, to get the answers from management and leadership within the City of Melbourne is very difficult. So we don't know what else to do without sounding like a broken record. And then what ends up happening is that um, everyone's saying, well, this if it hasn't been built, then why? And so the trust in the project from co community and from residents and visitors is like, why hasn't it been built? We're sick of hearing about it. It must be something wrong from your side. So. And I wonder, is, is City of Melbourne particularly hard to crack? I mean, look, we see projects like pool projects in cities like London and Paris. Um, and I just wonder whether there are some examples that you guys have seen in other cities, in other places around the world that, 
that are really good examples of, of these these kind of projects that have got off the ground and they have been successful and, and have been really exciting for for the city. Well, I think from the perspective, like we talk about Brooklyn Grange all the time and the High Line in New York, and we're now seeing um, discussion about a High Line here in Melbourne, which is not an original thought, but um, that started from a Friends Of group and from philanthropic funding, but Brooklyn Grange, so... Yeah, I, f I feel like any, any place that's used redundant infrastructure and has created something which otherwise would be wasted, such as the, the High Line, um, I think it's interesting, both Mim and Courtney, um, their projects are based around the Yarra River and through uh, our dealings with Fed Square for the years that we were there, they're, they're one of the other big hurdles was, hey, we've turned our back on the river and it's right there and that's how people used to connect and it's almost this forgotten asset of Melbourne. And I think it takes civic-led projects to really realise those things. Um, and that's why it's important for governments to listen to these projects because it, it gives them some indication of what's on people's minds, what they're looking at, what they're thinking about, what direction we want to go in. Um, but, yeah, it, se it seems like, particularly with green roofing in, in Melbourne and rooftop gardens in Melbourne, time and time again, really great ideas get shut down. I was, I was just looking at Yost Backer's Instagram account and anyone that follows him and knows the work that he does would notice that there was a, a gulf of time from about April to November last year where he just got fed up and he just said, well, fuck this, and I'm just going to give up trying to change the world and trying to do these creative, innovative projects because time and time again, he gets his partnerships, he gets, um, gets buy-in, he gets the funds, and when it came to, I think it was the farm by Yost, which is basically a greenhouse perched on top of a city building, which was going to produce something like 50 tonnes of tomatoes every year, it had a strong business case, it went to Melbourne City Council and basically the pitch of the roof was 2.4 metres above what is deemed acceptable and it went to a council vote. And basically only one person in the council voted for it and he stormed out of the meeting and that was basically the entire project killed and that was it. So just hearing those sorts of stories, it does make you feel a little bit despondent about truly innovative projects because I think... Um, Civic-led projects are led by people who are really passionate, are risk-takers, whereas government, unfortunately, play a bit more defensive. Um, no one wants to be accountable for something that turns out bad, um, as opposed to being accountable or responsible for something that turns out good, which is what it probably should be. So how to, how to change that and how to create high lines in Melbourne, Yarra pools and these sorts of things is sort of the question. Courtney, do you know of any other projects in other places that you sort of looked towards for inspiration or that are really good examples of oh, this? I, I, I mean, we tried... I, I, inflatable regattas in other places around the world. So, like, uh, there's a great one in Finland. Um, there's one on the um, Michigan Lake. There's another one in Manly. And they're all sort of reasonably similar concepts, but there's nothing like this sort of safety planning that we are subject to which is like a boat every 500 metres with, you know, former, you know, Navy people on it that have like something else there. This, to, this is true. True story. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, these guys, they're pretty cheap actually. They operate on the Werribee Weir um, with the speedboat races there. So our, it's a pretty boring day for them when we're involved. But um, like if you tried to get something up like the Birdman, rally here in Melbourne again. I don't reckon you would. I reckon they'd say, actually, no, we don't want that. But because of the historical precedent when times are a little bit, you know, maybe not as sort of stringent or administrative and let much less insurance involved, 
it's sort of been okay and it's had a good run and it's showed that, you know, people don't die doing it. I'm sure if we were around that long, you know, there wouldn't be the need for everybody to have, you know, sort of a watchful eye by somebody with 10 years experience or like, you know, somebody on the dock who, as soon as you get down to the dock, the floating pontoon that we install, if people aren't wearing life jackets, well then suddenly we can, you know, someone can run in and get shut, you know, can shut the whole thing down. I mean, it's not really practical. When, I mean, we've got it, and that's derived from our duty of care, but it's the context of Melbourne, maybe Victoria, maybe Australia, where the duty of care is so much, and the responsibilities place so much on the event organiser, and the duty of care is also passed from, and there's this sort of weird dance that happens, and we started just heaping responsibility on ourselves as a strategy to get things through government, where the government stakeholders that we had would be like, oh, well, we're not going to... And you did the handballing action when we were talking about this before. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't, you've got to cover yourselves. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're covering ourselves. Like, All right, so what about this? You're covering yourself. Yeah, 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 we're covering ourselves on that. And you don't, like watching events that are very similar to inflatable regatta, regatta in other cities, like the ones I mentioned previously, you don't see that level of, you know, specificity in terms of like safety or insurance and all the things that are derived from there. So it's probably... I've probably got one example that's um, a fantastic case study and that's the Alice Pool in, um, I'm probably saying that, but it's a terrible pronunciation, in Helsinki. Um, so a pool was proposed for at the front and sort of similar to the Bardenschiff, which is in Vienna, which is actually, Bardenschiff means um, ship boat, oh, no, swim boat, and it's two barges pushed, pushed together and there could be a reason why Melbourne lost number one most livable city in the world and Vienna got it, I don't know. But um, the pool's now operating at bars and it's kind of a, it's a, a mash of the arbory and then what we're proposing for the pool. There's that one, but then one in Helsinki was um, this great idea and it was proposed to operate 365 days a year and we're suggesting that as well. Um, it's all open for feedback as well, um, the Yarra pool design. But the pool opened and in the first few weeks, I think they've got 35,000 people. It operates at full capacity all year round, even when there's ice flows going past. And they're now, and the way it got off the ground was through crowd crowdfunding, and so the heated pool, and heated pool, people pay to get sauna, in. full European experience. You know, lots of wooden people. You know, looking glamorous and amazing. Um, and it's now an, uh, an attraction, a visitor attraction as well. Um, but also, it's now going to stage two, and also the city of Helsinki are heavily engaged in it. And we're not, I'm not sure of the funding, but they were out here. We've been talking to them for some time. So Trade Vic brought them out. So Trade Vic saw it as an opportunity, and um, we've been speaking to them. So it's a modular pool that's put in. You can actually even buy them off eBay. So to build a pool is not difficult. It's the litigious nature and the hurt hoops and hurdles you've got to jump through and over to get to that point of delivery. But there are many case studies around the world for pools and you would know that better than most people with all the swimming that you do, um, but particularly in European countries as well. So in Arab have been working on the plus pool in uh, New York. So talking to Jeffers, who's from, he's a Melbourneian from New York, he was mentioning the same thing, water quality was an issue, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, there are heaps of case studies and there's a lot displayed on our website if you'd like to have a look. So. I mean, what do you think um, would be – how could it be easier for you guys to get your projects off the ground? Like, what could government be doing to make it easier for, you know, these small and large projects to, to get moving and make it make it smoother? I, I'd say a bit of hand-holding. Just, you know, if you're – like, the one of the – like, you know, you're passionate and you're doing this thing and you're trying to get it off the ground and then a couple of times we had this attitude that was, you should know. 
And you're like, well, no, I don't because I haven't done this before. And um, that's why I'm asking you because you really do know. Like, but you should know if you're going to come to us. So don't waste my time. I'm not saying that happened all the time, but it did happen a couple of times that were really significant. And if just if I mean, the incentive for government to help get citizen-led projects off the ground is that they can take a shitload of the credit when they're successful. It doesn't cost them anything because you've got champions that are already doing the groundwork. Um, and if there was a little bit more of, you know, a one-on-one -on -one assistance, you know, in a meeting or whatever where specific things were articulated that you should go through this process or talk to this person, here's an example of something that was successful in the past. I've had the same experience doing different, or doing grant applications for different other projects, sorry, um, that Matt has where one person recently said, oh, um, you should have talked more about this. And then I went through the thing. But it doesn't say talk about that. You could have just had a line, like, you know, answer this question and, you know, and expand with three examples. Like, that's really easy stuff, but it becomes so exclusive because the people that know, that have the insights, and it's, I mean, it's sort of, you know, stuff for your mates a little bit because if you've all been in the same industry and you all can talk about it openly, then it becomes much easier. But for other people trying to get in, that might have an idea that could be just as good or better or, you know, maybe a little bit worse but still beneficial. Um, it, it, makes, it makes it harder. It's time-consuming and people's time is precious and, you know, exactly the same for people in government. Their time's precious as well. So why not, you know, have the meeting, figure it out and, um, you know, at least uh, keep in touch or just be a bit more sort of clear about and open your attitude. We were, we were talking before about... Um, maybe the inactivity of government is like a filtering out process. So, you know, like they're trying to sort of filter out who's serious about what they really want to do and the inactivity will then, you know, people like me will just give up and go and do something ourselves and the people that really stick at it will keep, keep going for it. And, I mean, I think that timeliness is so important for anyone's project. Um, just getting a permit to have an A board out the front of our nursery at the end of last year took us four months to get that to get an A-frame to say that we're open out the front. It was seven years too late. We should have got it a long time ago. But it took us four months to get a permit to say that we could put an A-frame out the front of our nursery. So, I mean, obviously, trying to expedite a few of those processes, which shouldn't take that long, would be the first point. But uh, other than holding everyone's hands and, and knowing the person with which to deal with, how is that possible? I, I'm not really sure. And why it took four months to get a permit signed, I don't really know. Have you got any ideas? Sometimes it just feels like you're... you're <laughs> you got some ideas, ma'am? Talking about A-frames now. We've come to that level of A-frames. Um, I, I change my... I think being dynamic as, an, as a lead... So if the project has to be dynamic. You can't just stick to the mindset that, you know and be bullish and just try and ram the gate down. So I quit government and I cashed my chips in and I tried to start a company that um, built a green roof, actually identified a spot as well. Again, the sticking point was City of Melbourne. State government were more than forthcoming. They were amazing and state government is, is incredible. It takes a lot longer and it's hard to navigate. But um, I went and worked and now work for an organisation that is dynamic and gives me the flexibility as an individual to try and contribute. So it allows me the time to work on the Yarra pools but also work back into government as well. So sometimes it's not finding necessarily people directly in government but those that you can partner with to help that might have had experience in that, who um, have had projects that are successful and you'll be amazed at who and 
you know, how many people are willing to listen, but also assist as well. And pro bono. So, you know, we've had a lot of success with the Yarra Pool in um, getting, you know, commissioned reports that haven't required us to provide funding, but will give them access to our audience. And also if the program, and they believe in it. So if the project does happen, and I'm going to say will happen, then they will have, you know, that, that name up in lights as well. And we don't see it as, um, you know, Yarra Pool's just doing a project for the sake of our own notoriety. It's got nothing. We're all happy to be behind the scenes. But if we can show the collective voice and project delivery, then it works. So I think talking about government as a whole has been the only entity to help. But sometimes it's the partnering and the banding together that allow that to happen. So, um, and we find that as a collective voice within the committee with Yarra Pool, but also because we all know each other, we all help each other with other projects projects too. So there's a fantastic community here around the Yarra, so the Yarra River Keepers Association, Yarra River um, Business Association, which you're on the board for, the Inflatable Regatta. Find those people and you will be amazed the the nature of Melbourne and how there is a collective um, desire to do what's best for the city is actually quite prevalent and a lot more than other cities too. So I think that's really good advice and leads on to my next question, which is for people in the audience who are thinking about ideas and, and have projects that they want to get off the ground, do you guys have some advice on, on how to sort of fast track that or what not to do and, and, and ways people can get their projects started? I think getting community support, obviously, is the best way to get a community project off the ground and getting partnerships sorted out as well. I don't think you should expect the government to be pitching in and, and really subsidising most of the costs of what you want to do. I think it's really important that projects stand on its own two feet. Um, from my understanding, I think they will listen. If you have a big following and you get a lot of people that are behind the project, then they have no option but to listen. So I guess if you get all the groundwork sorted um, and maybe even take the initial steps yourself as, as far as you can and only, you know, get in with a, with a structure before you then start really trying to engage government. That's obviously a lot easier with lo-fi things and smaller community gardens and projects that we sometimes do. Um, but I think if you've got everything lined up and you've got the structure sorted, it just makes it easier for the government to consider the project that you're trying to get through. I'd say, um, yeah, if you can, like I mentioned earlier, sort of get people on your side and create either the perception of momentum or real momentum is really helpful. Um, so a couple of things that really helped us with government is being patient, being really thorough, uh, and anticipating where they're going to think, you know, you know, getting people who are from government or, you know, who have been in government to look at things or just to hear you out and say, what do you reckon about this? What do you think they're going to say? Um, allowed us to, when we're in meetings, say, uh, or they might go, well, what about all the people that are standing on the footpath? You're like, yes, we've thought about that. We're going to put a railing around here. Is that acceptable or is that enough? Should we be doing more? So the event that we imagined at the start of 2015 where we started talking to, um, you know, the government by Parks Victoria and everybody else was a very different event that we got in 2016 because we had to make allowances and compromises and that sort of thing. And doing, like showing that you can give a bit and that you can listen and that you can come back, you can go away, do the work and come back, really like was a, was a lovely trust exercise because the person who's signing off on it is responsible and we're signing papers too, so we're responsible. So why wouldn't we put ourselves both in the best, best position possible? Because, I mean, inflatable regatta isn't going to change the system, um, but it can work and it has worked within it, you know, reasonably successfully. It just could have been a little bit shorter and... Well, that's fine. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to probably be 
So <laughs> we talked about who's going to be controversial today on the panel. I'm going to say stir shit up, like get out there. And I remember when I was in, I saw I worked in public affair teams for government and I've worked for city of Melbourne and I've worked for, you know, state government agencies. The people that are squeaky and noisy get heard and you've got, and you would know this as well, you know, having worked in media and with ABC, find every channel you can to be heard. If you've got, if you've, if you are thorough and you've got the backing and the evidence behind you to support the case, Go f just go for every channel. Like we are, we are in an uh, an age of the social media and of people wanting to have a voice. Everyone's got an opinion. Be part of that. Show that you've got meaning and show that you've got relevance, and just go for it. And Melbourne, there are a lot of channels for that as well. But I, you know, if I'm and I'm trying to think of when I, you know, working from the inside out. Those that got attention and that also were asked for comment as well. It wasn't just about them providing a negative response or, you know, incoming sort of comment to government. It's those that also could provide articulated response in times of crisis or controversy as well. So, um, and Courtney, we talk a lot about that as well, you know, and then also we often speak about Yost Backers. He, he came out punching with some of that stuff and he was pretty upset but he got attention and it hit the channels and went viral so I think that if you want if you are desperate and you want it be heard and say something and I can't believe I'm saying that after talking to my dad this morning on the, on the phone and he went on about talkback radio and it drives me insane he's a baby boomer and that's what he loves listening to but you know also I've had a lot of people of that generation contact me and say hey we heard the Arapools on the radio today and it's like because we pushed hard and you know we as a group try and email as many people. If we don't, if we get no at one door, then we go to another and we just keep going until we get the answer because we are intelligent, informed and we've got a reason to be there. Good advice. Um, we're going to get to some questions soon but just before we do, just want to sort of see where everyone's projects are at, what's what's going on, you know, in the near future, what we can all get excited about, what we can get around. Um, so maybe we'll go one by one. You can just sort of explain what's next and what's exciting and what we can, yeah look towards we, we would like to find another space like the pop-up patch which isn't going to happen because that was incredible um who knew something like that existed right here in the city so we're looking um in our own areas in the in the north of the city we want to start up a, a lo-fi community garden we also want to do some bigger picture stuff as well and been working with mim in brisbane and and there's the difference of councils maybe Bri brisbane city council really wants to Wants the party, they really want to embrace food and, and innovation and and who knows if you had, I guess, the creativity and the people of Melbourne working with the Brisbane City Council and you put those together. But anyway, we'll just go there and try and do some work as well. So um, I, I guess we would like just to see more innovative food-driven projects because we know that the people demand them. Um, and, and the greatest thing about the pop-up patch was that uh, you'd have neighbours who would be living in the same building uh, and they'd never have the chance to meet, and there was a place like that that was a conduit for them to connect. And that's the thing about living in cities. It's really hard to meet people these days, so what better way to bond over than food? So that's sort of us for the next little while. So if, if people have ideas for spaces that you could potentially open a pop-up patch, should they come to you with those? Yeah, those yeah come, to, come to us. Uh, okay. Send an email to Little Veggie Patch Company. Um, I'm, I'm usually at... Uh, Joe's Shoe Store with Paulie over there on a, on a Friday night, so maybe come there and we can talk about it. Um, but yeah, send, send the business an email. We're always interested in spaces and we're very collaborative in the nature that we work, so we'd would welcome any sort of feedback as well. Yeah, cool. Courtney, um, I know you kind of talked about the next event, but yeah, tell us a bit more about that, how we can access it, how we can get tickets when they come on sale, those kind of things. Uh, inflatableregatta.com. 
uh, we have a mailing list and that is the first place that we send out news and information to. One of the good things about um, having 2019 off is that we can re-look at our environmental sort of footprint and practices. I think it was eight tonnes of plastic we used in the 2018 event and we want to try and get that down or at least be offsetting it. So that's something that we've really noticed from feedback, you know, that we should be paying more attention to and we've tried different ways but never sort of really thoroughly considered um, how we could do a sort of holistic environmental sort of assessment. But um, inflatableregatta.com, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and... Um, there's, I think my email address is on there. If Courtney at inflatableregatta.com if you want to get in touch. Um, yeah, we've still got 12 months until the next one. Uh, which, Yeah, on the Maribyrnong. So it should be fun and quite different to other ones. If anybody's been to one of the ones in the past, it should be, it should be a, little bit, uh, a little bit new. Great, thanks. And Mim, so this big project that we're working on that's been in the pipes for six to eight years... Six? Oh, no, four to five. Okay, yeah, four to yeah, five. Yeah. So what, what's up next? What's the next step? So we're um, quite a fair way down the path and we're at the almost the final stages of a business case. So we've done a user needs um, report and then we've also got the work around a market profile and demand analysis as well. So they're all available to read on our website, so yarrapools.com. And then we also have um, the render. So it's the video render which went viral as well. So we hit all Channel 7, Channel 9, a bunch of different um, stations probably about a month ago. I'm just That's a really cool mind. thing to check out if yeah. you haven't seen it already. It oh, really we were just I, – I got a little bit teary and I think Michael got a little bit teary because it is impressive for our – like a render is not cheap. For anyone that's in the design world, we know how much it is, but it just wasn't a design flat render. It was a full 3D music the beginning of the render draft, we saw oceans coming down, <laughs> down the era, but it probably wasn't um, too indicative of what it is at the moment. So we've got the render and we're actually asking for feedback on that design. So we'd love people to contribute and we are getting some really great responses and we're open to all kinds of comment on it. You know, we want to hear the truth that everyone feels about it. We're also at Design Week in a couple of months as well. So um, we're launching there and we're hoping to have the final business case at that stage too. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're well advanced. So, we're talking over 10 million. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but Michael, but I'm going to. So, we're, we're not small biscuits and we are asking for also crowdfunding too. Um, we'd like to see significant investment come from government because we feel that's where the return will also be, needs to be managed and, you know, the, the legacy too. So, um, but crowdfunding is another, we're just going to keep going for it. And crowdfunding often is a way of providing validity towards civic and citizen-led projects, so, um, but yeah, I mean, hope, and also private investment, if anyone's out there with a couple of mil spare in the pocket, <laughs> chip it on in, so. How can people access the render and, and then comment on the... It's all on the website, yeah, okay. yeah, definitely, so, and then also follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, we also enjoy collaborating and sharing knowledge as well, so it's not just about us bleating on about the look and feel and the potential of an ice cream stall or whatever, it's actually significant. Like we share information from all around the world. Um, we like enjoy, we, should, we enjoy policy. Um, we enjoy hearing about, you know, climate change, not hearing about it, but, you know, making a change for the climate. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there. Great. Thanks, guys. So, we've got some time for questions. If people have questions, maybe put your hand up and I can come, someone can come around with a microphone. And ask the hard ones too. Yeah, give them some tough ones. Um, my question is for Courtney. Um, I was actually, a number of years ago, clicked attending on a Facebook event, 
inflatable regatta. I think I was one of the first like 400 or something that clicked that event and I was really excited about it. Um, and then I just saw it grow and grow and grow and next thing, I don't know how many, there was like 30,000 people who were going to... 15,000. 15,000. Okay, still, there's a lot of, lot of people. Um, my question for you is, and, and then obviously all the, the kind of the things kicked in and you weren't able to put the event on and, and it went official the next year. Um, my question is, if it hadn't gone viral and if there was only, you know, 50 people or 100 people or 200 people, uh, would you have gone ahead with the event? Um, and, and what would the tipping point of you have been for you to go, okay, we need to, you know, rein it in? Or was it uh, a government agency coming in and saying, hey, you can't run 15,000 people down the river? What was, what was it that tipped you into going legit and going from just being a few mates with dinghies going down the river to being a fully-fledged event? Um, I was working at ABC Melbourne at the time and it was sort of getting up and it got up to about 5,000 people and I was working on one of John Fain's show, um, not the morning show, Conversation Hour. And it had been like a funny thing that like it was growing and I'd go back on the tram and like on the way home and like flick refresh and there'd be another 10 people coming. Anyway, I was making banter, like just chatting away in the morning as we're getting ready for the show. And I was like, it's up to 5,000 now. How funny is that? And then John came over and put his hands on my shoulders and looked me in the eye and said, Courtney, can you manage 5,000 people? <laughs> I was like, no. And he said, I think you better call someone. Um, so then that, that, that was actually the tipping point. Up until then, it was going to be like, just come down, bring your own raft. It'll be fine. Everybody, please behave. Don't get um, too drunk. Get drunk at the end. Um, but if it was if one or two hundred people came, like clicked okay, we would have just kept running it off the books. Um, I mean, in 2014 when we did it, I went to Campbellfield, Kmart, and bought fifteen dollar rafts from there. And then these guys turned up with two um, wooden pallets stuffed full of uh, foam, and then they glad wrapped the whole thing so it was watertight. It wasn't watertight by the end. It was sinking, like, so they were sort of about this far under. But it would have stayed. We, we planned to keep it a re reasonably sort of innocent event where we could, like, have a couple of beers in the boats and get down to the end and, like, maybe have a picnic and, you know, go from different spots and not really have to worry about it. But when it tipped over and we saw how many people were interested and what sort of appetite there was for it... Um, it, it, that became the sort of enthusiasm, like the crowdfunding thing. You know, if you've got, like, people contributing money or time behind it, you're like, well, I better follow through with this. So we started going through that process and then the momentum kicked in and yeah, but that really got us off the ground at the start. I mean, it was just lucky that one person shared it with another and another and another or we just – we wouldn't have done it because, I mean, we weren't – we got passionate about it when we realised what we were doing and how other people felt. But – it wasn't something that was like a singular goal that we had since we were 16 and grew up near the Yarra and, you know. Can I ask a question? So when um, Melbourne Water did come on sponsors, did that change the game? Because it, it did become very governance orientated and, you know, you kind of had someone to be beholden to because you had money. So from a project getting funded, did it change the way you created and designed and organised the event? 
it did it like it did a bit. We had to do the paperwork, but that that sort of stuff just became a part of it because you know you're like, oh, we're doing that now, so you just tack that on and put it in your workflow, or like we use Google Drive a lot, so you're like, all right, these are the tasks, and our project management software says we need to do this, and that's just like a list, really. It's not specific, like crazy complicated software, but um, you know, you just you're responsible, and then. I mean, the night before the first one, I think, um, I was trying to go to sleep and I was trying to think of something to think about just so that I could sort of think about that and then, you know, eventually go to sleep. And I was like, fuck, I can't think of anything. And I was lying there just sort of like frozen in, uh, in bed, like, what have we done? Um, but it, it, wor it worked out. You know, we did the planning and the work and we had the support and you know, uh, we were insured uh, enough. Um, should have read the insurance documents a bit more carefully, but it was fine. I did not sleep the night before. Just <laughs> so you know. I'd, I'd remortgaged my house um, just a little bit so that we could fund it. So Melbourne, my, myself and Melbourne Water kicked in um, the financials to get it across the line the first year. Yeah. Anyway, yeah it's been fun. Yeah, thank you. Um, other questions? Anyone? Lady up here. Um, my question picks up where you mentioned earlier that you get some, you get worn out, or the government has you hanging on so long that you just give up and go somewhere else. My question is, how do you um, go about maintaining the enthusiasm and the energy and the time commitment of other volunteers? And how many do you think you need for a project to get off the ground? Our projects, um, actually, we, we talk about this as well, but I, I, um, Michael and I were only talking about this this morning. After four to five years, you are exhausted, and I can't talk to four to five years. And I'm, like, getting soppy, and I get emotional about this all the time. I'm inspired by Michael, but I'm also inspired by people like Tom, who's our treasurer, and others that just, you have renewed vigour, and I think it's important to keep people coming through the volunteering aspect, but also making them feel empowered and part of the project, so you are also then empowered from their enthusiasm. Um, it is, like, this is volunteer, so this is not our day jobs, and we all do a lot in our own day jobs as well, so um, it, it's constantly waking up and saying, oh, I've got to check my emails before getting on the, you know, go to work, and then, you know, you're secretly checking emails on your lunch breaks and whatever, but I think when you are passionate about something, this is what we're talking about, be persistent, is that you've got to keep referring back to why it is that you started in the first instance. And for us, it's not about the fact that we are inspired about jumping in the pool. We do talk about that sometimes, like, you know, having a few cans around the pool and jumping in, like, yay, with a ring or, you know, inflatable or something. It's the fact that there is meaning towards this at the end. And when you do see Channel 7 down by the Turning Basin promoting the vision that you've got with your with the collective, it's pretty amazing. And not all projects get to that point. Um, but also, I am inspired by people like Mash and by Courtney. There's a reason why we're friends as well as we work together is because I we're like-minded. But Court and Lee, I don't know where you get the energy from. Like, it's incredible. And, um, yeah, it, I'm going to defer to you on that one because it's amazing to have watched you over the last few regattas. Um, one little tactic, I don't know if... Uh, say it's truthfully as well, is that we try and celebrate the little wins. You know, you get something done, you're like, yay, you know, something happened. We get, you know, you get new artwork or you get some sort of prep sketches for artwork and you're like, oh, cool, you know, isn't that great? Or, you know, you get, you sell a number of tickets or like just something goes right and you're like, yeah. Um, I mean, we can't look at a thrifty, tr a thrifty truck 
um, even sort of, you know, 24 months after the 2017 event. Um, uh, but to just, I mean, it's sort of a lot of uh, head down and just, you know, do the work because when it happens on, I mean, well, just before on the day, I mean, the day before one year we got our um, permit approved and because, you know, there's other stuff going on, that should have been the biggest win that we actually were allowed to do the event. But it was like, no, well, you know, great, thanks very much. I'm glad that happened. Um, but then on the day I, don't, I try and take at least five minutes every couple of hours and just look around and you see what's, you know, what everybody's contributed to that has made the, made the thing happen that just wasn't there. And the work of so many people just wills it into existence where, you know, without that sort of effort. Plus, I mean, the event at a lot of times just ends up, we're at a point now where it drags us. You know, we don't really have to do a hell of a lot to push it forward. Like the momentum was just sort of holding onto it and sort of steering it every now and again. But I'm more than anything, uh, little wins. Celebrating those is just absolutely the best motivator. Anyone else with a question out there? I've got one over here. And has everyone put their name into the uh, the door prize um, glass jar? And would you like to if you haven't? Pass it, pass it so around. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so my question is that when you're emailing someone who's you know supposed to maybe fund you potentially, it's like pretty important. Um, and I'm like borderline generation, I communicate via emojis. Should you use emojis or not? As in like, if you're in government and I send you a, hey, like this is my project, this is my ideas, this and this and that and that, could I end it with a smiley face or is that just like, nah? Uh, probably not. Nah? <laughs> and saying dude. But like, wouldn't yo, it be yeah. nice to see some personality though? Because that also expresses a lot of personality. Your project should be the personality. Um, there is, you know, there's still a formal process of inviting ministers to turn up to open things and we've all had experience with that. You had the Prime Minister turn up to your little shindig. Um, I, be formal and then establish relationship and then, you know... And then start. You know. I don't even say dear or bye-bye or whatever now. It's just like, you know, nothing. So once you get to that stage, you'll find that. But just be a little bit formal in your approach. Don't be so formal that it looks cut and paste yeah because um, that's kind of like I'm doing some community work so I'm like been sending emails and I've been a little bit like I don't know like I legit don't know if I'm supposed to be like hello smiley face my name is you know or I'm just like no you know, I mean it's, it's, it's government like, so there writing is an email is hard sometimes you and your subject heading is really important it. as well so yeah. um make it catchy but don't make it look like it's um spam or you know a mass uh, EDM like keep it short and to the point yeah. um, and keep your, your, your dialogue short and to the point and then whatever's attached um, is is really important too. I mean, look, yeah. you know, you've, you've done a lot of approach emails too, so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, get the first one out of the way before you get stuck into the emojis. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah, then uh, put the emojis on after. Another one no is um, government email gets clogged. So if you can make your PDFs as small as possible, yeah. that's a really handy one. Yeah. Um, I love I love PDF.com has saved my life. Again, Andre has helped me with that one. But firewalls are really big, so sending massive attachments, one not only um, shirts people off, 
because you only have a certain file size or inbox size when it comes to government, but also you can't then send it around the department if you've got it and it's 23 meg. So I think anything under 7 meg is, or anything over 7 meg is too big. But I love pdf.com, compress, saves your life. Oh, and ask a question in your email because it makes them reply. Oh yeah, uh, that's, and then you don't have to think about. Because I've been how getting, I've been it. getting a couple of emails back from people I've been like talking to, and they've been really private, and that kind of made me like, oh, I need to step it up when it comes to be private and like you know personalised and be all like me again, because it's just really hard. Like I'm just like, oh, should I be really formal? But that's not really me. And then they meet me in person. I'm not formal. And then you know. It's just like first impression. How do you make that? Like, what's the best way of making a first impression? Impress, um, impression that kind of sticks with them. You know, like that's noticeable. Because I'm sure they get like a zillion emails every day. And like, what's going to make them read my email? If they want to know who you were, particularly, they would go to your signature and look at your, like, put your Instagram. Account but I don't have Instagram. Or LinkedIn. Or what If you've got any kind of – just keep it – yeah, be formal in your first approach and then you'll establish a relationship. And sometimes yeah. it's like trying to apply for a job. You've got to keep sending those resumes out a million times and it's disheartening, but you might send out 173 and the 174th one will hit, hit someone. Yeah. Thank you. Any final questions before the door prize is announced? Okay, I've got one over here. Um, this is just about Yarra Pools. I, was, I haven't looked at the website, but um, I was just wondering, since the Yarra Swimming Co was born out of, um, you know, swimming in the Yarra, has it ever kind of looked at trying, like, say, for example, putting the $10 million towards making, working towards the Yarra being swimmable rather than kind of the... There's a lot that goes into making something swimmable, something particularly as political and significant as the Yarra or Birrarung. Um I think that from our perspective, starting with something like putting a pool, like it's not intended that the, the, the pool would be um, entirely reliant on potable water, but it's part of also the ability for innovation and design into the project as well. But if the pool itself brings focus to the Yarra as an issue, like and I think that the general perception that by all Melburnians, including myself, and I have swum in it many times, both here and upstream as well, that it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit gross, is that if we are actively participating in a CBD in the pool and it's potable to begin with but then suddenly someone says well, what would you like if we could swim out a little bit further and the design of the pool at the moment is actually sort of for a more of a natural waterway um, as well then I think that is part of the vision that we're trying to achieve but also the people that are around the table for the Yarra pools and we're not just talking government but there's a lot life-saving Victoria um, where you know MSAC, there's a whole lot of other operators who have the ability to share the message as well. So it's distribution to then say maybe we need to focus and talk more to state government, federal government, or form our own community action to wait to make the, the river swimmable. But also organisations like the Yarra River Keeper Association as well. So does that answer it? I, I probably don't have the most articulate response to that, but I'm not a water policy dude. Thanks, ma'am. Any, anyone else out there? Now, we've only got about 10 people's numbers here, so the stakes are high. Like, it's the prize is uh, not only a book, but also Matt's number because he didn't bring his book. So, hey. great prize. Wow. <laughs> wow, chicken, wow, wow. Talk about this. <laughs> Any final additions before I select them? Yeah. You can have the card back. <laughs> no. 
Someone's got it. Is that your driver's license? Anybody else? It's like the meat tray at the pub. It would be better if there was more than one license because then I'll know whose license it is. But I'm going to get someone else to. They're my family. Really I'm sorry, sorry guys. This is really funny. <laughs> Any more Mikey cards? <laughs> Passports. Okay. Put your license in. If anyone doesn't have a business card, chuck your license in and we'll give it back at the end of proceedings. Um, I'll put the... Um, the jar over near the bar as well. So if there are any um, uh, inflatable regatta badges for Barb the Platypus, um, feel free to go over and grab one. Who wants to draw the prize? Go court. <laughs> you need to close your eyes. That's us. That's us. <laughs> Thank you. There's a pin in that bag. <laughs> Co-design studio, Alyssa. All right, well done. Two book prize, one tonight and one tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now everyone the gets shop. their licenses oh, back. Um, guys, thanks so much for coming. If you want to chat to these guys um, and, and ask a question, please come and do so. You can follow all their social media um, handles and whatever and, and get around their projects. Um, thanks for coming down tonight. Really nice night to be out here with you. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming. Thank thanks. you. Thanks so much. And come and get your licences. You are listening to an Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. Visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>